Turn with me to Proverbs 29. Proverbs 29. We're going to look at one verse here. If you have a Bible, you should have a Bible there on your pew. I would like for you to actually get it out and uh, touch it, feel it. If you're like me, it may be a new Bible. You may even want to smell it. I don't know. Um, I like the way new books smell. Weirdo, right? But Nonetheless, I want you to feel and see for yourself what the Word of God says. Look at Proverbs 29 and verse 18. Proverbs being a wisdom book. I do want to point out that there will be some wisdom that is gained if we have ears to hear and eyes to see. Not only that, if you'll take your bulletin, we have a place for notes. If God speaks to you, sometimes it's best to write it down. Maybe you, have a, maybe you take notes on your phone. But either way you want to do that, I would ask you to be attentive to what God would have to say to us this morning. Proverbs 29 and verse 18. Notice what is said here. You may know it well. Hear these words from God. Where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. But blessed is he who keeps the law. Let me read a different translation. The King James Version. It says this. Where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. Let us pray. Jesus, thank you for your holy word. It is holy and it is for us. So may your Holy Spirit direct us, teach us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, we looked at vision. And I started with an illustration about Coca-Cola being within an arm's reach of desire. And what do you know but that Coca-Cola found its way right here into my pulpit... Uh, within an arm's reach of my desire. I'm not going to crack it open yet, maybe later. I don't know who put this here, but that was a, a fantastic way of proving the point that vision leads us somewhere. Vision is taking us somewhere. Vision ends up practically affecting people's lives in such a way, so much so, that even the mention of Coca-Cola last week, apparently, at many lunches, In different places, people ordered Coca-Cola, I heard. That's the way vision works. And it is the way that God's vision should work. God's vision is not just meant to be understood. It's not meant to just be heard, but rather accomplished. And so this morning, I want to talk about our vision here at Harvest Point. Because we believe that our vision at Harvest Point is God's vision. And where there is no vision, the people perish. Read a story about the minister's daughter, who's five years old, noticed that her father always paused before his sermon, bowed his head. She said one day to him, Well, Daddy, why do you do that? Why do you... Why do you bow your head before you preach? She said, well, honey, he said, I'm asking the Lord to help me preach a good sermon. She looked at him and said, why is he not answering your prayer? (laughs) 
That's the way I oftentimes feel (laughs) when I'm charged to stand behind this sacred desk and deliver the word that God would have us to have on the first day of the week. That's not the last word. It's just supposed to be the first word. The next word will come from your own private times of devotion with Jesus. We talked about a couple weeks back, life matters. We talked about how God wants to let my people go so they may worship me. And then we talked about last week the importance of vision. And so this week I want to really hone in on what is our vision. What is God's vision for His people right here at Harvest Point? I think with a vision you really have to start with a mission. So a mission is this. Our mission here at Harvest Point is to prepare people for heaven. By planting seeds of the gospel so that we can produce fruit in His kingdom. In other words, really three directing words that we're all about here, and that is preparing people for heaven. Prepare. Planting seeds of God's good news. His gospel. Gospel seeds, you could say. Planting them everywhere we go. Work, school, and when we play. And then finally, actually producing kingdom fruit in our own lives and so that we can share it with everyone. Which is why we say around here, and we have it on the bulletin, we try to remind you, we're growing something to share. We're not growing something just to look at or just to be proud of, but we're growing something to share. You know, many people when they think about church and a vision of a church, they think, oh, what kind of building is it going to be? You're going to go chairs or pews? I can't tell you how many times in church planting, we, Jessica and I, have been asked, you know, years, year after year after year, you know, hey, when you get in a building? Because that's what a real church is, is a building. Well, at Harvest Point, you'll know <laughs> that that is not a core value or vision for us is a building. And the reason why is because once you get a building, you're done. And the vision's done. Then what? The vision has to be greater than buildings. Now, we use buildings. We're in one now. Thanks be to God for this building. And I believe He'll provide another building for us when we outgrow this one, just like the last one. We outgrew a little church we're meeting in. We outgrew Gooch Place. We'll, I pray, outgrow this place. And when we do, God will direct us to a building. Whether that is our own or whether in the frugality of God, He would have us rent for super cheap again. (laughs) Whatever He wants to do, I'm game for that. But the vision of our church is more than brick and mortar. The vision is people. The vision of God is people. That's what God is concerned with. And if God is concerned with that, if that's where His eye always attends to, if ever since the garden He goes seeking after us, shouldn't we as His followers seek to save the lost? 
You see, at Harvest Point, we're about people. Here's what Paul says in Colossians 1.28. He says, we preach warning. Notice, we preach through the foolishness of preaching. We preach. It may not always be good, but we preach. Warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom. Notice this, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. That's the King James again. Can you see it's not gender specific? Man's mankind. That's male and female. Boy and girl. That we may present them perfect in Christ. In other words, our vision is people and that we as a church could present them to Jesus perfect. They say, perfect? Well, complete, mature, as Wesley defined it, perfect in love. Ty's love for me, by any account, is not perfect. He screams at me sometimes. He gets angry at me sometimes, even as recently as this morning. But his little heart, he loves me. And even when I have to get on to him, he knows that I love him. He loves me as a three-year-old does. Now when he gets older, that love will change and it should. But he's loving me the best he can. I believe that. That little girl of mine, loving me the best she can. Jackson, loving me as a 10-year-old. What about you? Do you love God the best you can? With all that you can? Are we still little three-year-olds at 45? It's cute when a three-year-old does it. It's not cute when a 40-something-year-old does it. God, give us your vision. Proverbs 11.27 says, If you search for good, you will find favor. But if you search for evil, it will find you. In other words, if your goals are good, God will respect that and bless you. If they're not, if what really drives you and vision drives us, vision gives us the real passion to get up and go after it in the morning... God, give us your vision. Ephesians 3.20 says this, God is able to do far more, notice this, than we would ever dare to ask or even dream of, infinitely beyond our highest prayers, desires, thoughts, or hopes. That's a living Bible. He wants to do more through you than you ever thought possible. In other words, think the highest thought you could for God. He wants to do more than that. He wants to expand our horizon. What would you do for God if you knew you couldn't fail? What would you do for God if you knew the resources were going to be there? Well, guess what? Everything's impossible with man. But with God, nothing is impossible. 
I believe that, people. I believe that because I've seen it happen. And now that, like I, like I explained last week, we have a community now. We saw that community years ago when there was not one. We have that community of believers now. You are that community now. But the vision is expanding. The vision must include you. It must move from me to you and you to the world, your world, not my world, your world. Many years ago, there was another visionary leader by the name of William Booth. And in 1906, he wrote down his vision of what he saw. It wasn't a vision to bring coke around the world. Instead, he, saw, he said this, I saw a dark and stormy ocean, an angry sea, tumultuous waves crashing into each other. One of those storms you just really wouldn't want to be a part of, wouldn't want to swim in or surf in or be even in a boat in. And he said, I saw myriads of poor people plunging into the waters. Thousands struggling and drowning as they cursed and as they screamed and as they shrieked and as they sank to rise no more. He said, then I saw in this angry sea a rock arise. And this rock was towering all the way to the sky. And many people got up on this rock and were saved. But on this platform, he said, I saw with delight a number of the poor, struggling, drowning wretches continually climbing out of the angry ocean. And I saw that a few of those who were already safe on the platform were helping the poor creatures in there to get out to safety. But then he said, I looked and I saw that the occupants that were on the platform, which were quite a mixed company, But only a very few of them made it their business to turn back around and help others. Though all of them had been rescued one time or another from the ocean, nearly everyone seemed to have forgotten all about it. These people did not seem to have any care of those who were drowning right in front of them. And so, William Booth, in order to serve this vision well, in order to make it a reality, started the Salvation Army, which is still in existence today, because of a vision that he had from God of people drowning around him and no one helping. Our church serves in the Salvation Army. Many of you have actually served food from that truck in the Salvation Army. I've worked for the Salvation Army in in Mississippi. The Salvation Army is not only an outreach organization, it is a church. Not only is it a church, it's actually a church in the Wesleyan theological tradition. They have the same doctrine we do. 
little, little here and there differences, but they have the same Wesleyan doctrine about salvation. God has done great things because He gave one person a vision. I wonder what God could do with you. Listen, I'm not a very visionary type leader. I wish I were creative and very skilled. I'm not. But you know what? I believe there's some people in this room who are. I believe God wants to place a vision on some of you today. Maybe He already has, and you turned away from that vision. Just like those people on that platform. It's just too much. It'll cost me too much. I might fall in and get hurt. God does not save us to be safe. One thing I had to correct in my own sons in their praying last year was only asking God for safety. That won't happen. Not in this world. We are told we will suffer. We are told we will be persecuted. And if we're not, if you don't know the weight of that, then the enemy already has you in his arms asleep, telling you a lie, whispering sweet lies as you fall asleep and many around you drown. There are people at your work, your work, places where I can't even get in because I don't have a security clearance, that need you to tell them about Jesus. They need you to reach out. There's people in your family that need you to live a godly life. Mom, dad, those precious children that sat right here, they need you to live a godly life. If you don't do it for yourself, do it for them. Jesus gets real strong and He says, you mess up one of my little ones and teach them to go astray, it's better for you to have a rope tied to a huge rock tied around your neck and drowned in a river. This is nice Jesus who we idolatrize in our head and make Him into some kind of grandpa that's unwilling to discipline at all. Let me tell you something. You've not met Jesus if you think of Him like that. You have an idol floating around in your head. He's the one who says it. Do not mess with one of these little ones. And the best way we can mess with them is by living the wrong way. You say, I've got the right theology. I'll teach them. I'll teach them right. No, you teach them how you live. My dad taught me the most about how he actually lived his life. I'm a preacher's kid. And that's a dangerous thing. Because the ministry is a dangerous thing. Paul even warns us of this. But my dad 
was always honest with myself and Justin. And when he messed up, he would come to us and ask forgiveness. And I learned more in those moments than I did in his pontificating. Which he did quite a bit, by the way. One of the worst ways we got in trouble was for him to lecture us for four hours. And if you know the man, he talks like a micro-machine guy. You see, our vision is too small. We're not thinking clearly. Because really, if we could change up the image a little bit, we're the one drowning. And the water is blurring our eyes from seeing the one trying to save us. And we turn away and descend into the abyss. I don't want that for you, my friends. The reason I would preach something like this, the reason I would tell you the truth, the reason Jesus would tell you the truth is because there is a judgment. What you do with your body matters. What you do with your gifts matters. What you do with your life matters. And so... We come to what God wants. What is the vision that God has for you? It's the great commandment. I spoke about this briefly at our annual church conference. The great commandment is to love God with all of your heart. You know, when you love something, you don't have to try to get up early in the morning anymore. You love hunting... You'll be up. 4.30, whatever it takes. It's nuts to those who don't love it. Some of you ladies, you say, yeah, that's insane. But Black Friday rolls around. You binge shop all night long now. You should just be early in the morning now that it's a 24-hour cycle. Nobody has to beg you to do that. You love it. Jesus says this in Matthew 22. He says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. When you love something, it gets your time. I got to admit to you, I can't wait to get home every day to see that little girl. I'll just be honest with you. She's back there right now, bobbing around, sleeping on Jessica, and I cannot wait to get my hands on her because I love her. I actually want to come home to the craziness that is my house sometimes because I love those people. I love it when Ty, even though he's probably just finished being bad and complaining about complaining, He comes up and gives me a huge bear hug on my legs. I love it. And so I give my time to it. God's put a love in my heart. It's the craziest thing ever, but He's put a love in my heart to teach. Nobody ever saw that one coming, honestly. Not not according to my grades. (laughs) Justin was the one that was on the docket to be teaching. Mr. Straight A. This guy here was B at best. 
And yet God gave me a gift to study, of all things. Someone borderline ADD, studying, imagine that, reading. And yet I love it, I love it. And and the reason I give my talents to it, the reason I give my time to it, is because I love it. Many times I'll spend hours alone studying things that nobody else cares about. Until you do. The question doesn't always come. But when it does, I want to be prepared. Because God has called me to do that. It's what He's called me to do. What are you giving your talents to? You give them to a lot of things, don't you? Already? What about your skill set? Some of us are just plain lazy when it comes to the church. We're not lazy in our life, but when it comes to the church, we are. We are unwilling to use the very skills and abilities God has gifted us with for the church. When you love something, it gets also your testimony. You'll be talking about it. You'll be talking about it. You love your grandchildren? Trust me. There's no way to keep a grandparent silent when they have a new baby. (coughs) No way. Because they love them. And you know what? Their excitement is contagious. You know what? Our excitement as Christians ought to be contagious. If God is doing something in our life, if He's blessed us enormously, which He has, isn't that worth talking about? Isn't it worth mentioning? Surely it finds a way into our conversation at some point in the day. But the problem is, He's not doing anything in our life. We've not allowed Him to. We're too busy. We've not made time for Him. Because we don't really love God. We think we do. But our actions would prove otherwise. Like a, like a cheating husband begging his wife that he loves her. When in fact his actions don't show it. Like a friend who stabs you in the back over and over again. But pleads with you that they're honest. Stop being false. You either love God with all of your heart or you don't. And that is the first and greatest commandment. And it's what we at Harvest Point aspire to. That's the way you present someone blameless before God. Is to say, see this family, God? They came to us and now they're totally in love with you. That's what we want to do as a church. It has to be this contagious thing that is talked about and we're excited about it. I mean, I've had people talk to me about stuff that I didn't care anything about, but they made it interesting because they were excited about it. Never forget, Justin called me one day and he was super excited that he had got to carry a leg down to the morgue that he had cut off. I don't care about that at all. But he was super excited. And you know what? It got me excited. Man, that's awesome. I, wow, I wish I could have not been there. <laughs> I 
when we love God, we'll also give Him our treasure. Not only our time, not only our talents, not only our testimony, but also our treasure. Secondly, if we're going to do God's vision, not only do we need to present people to Him here at this church by the great commandment, which is to love God and others, but also the great commitment. And the great commitment is to serve. Notice what Jesus says in Matthew 20. He says, even as the Son of Man came not to serve, be served, but to serve. In other words, God Himself came to serve and not be served. And to give His life as a ransom for many. Are you willing to live in His shadow all your life? That's the re- reading from last week, by the way. Living in His shadow. Not for your glory. Not for your fame, but His. Are you comfortable with that? Are you okay with that? Because that's what He calls us to. Each of you should use whatever gift. I love that. Whatever gift. There's so many gifts in this room. So many talents and abilities in this room. Everyone should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. That's 1 Peter 4.10. Good stewards. Servant leadership is what we're about at Harvest Point. When somebody leads by serving others, we say, that's somebody that understands Jesus' leadership. Not somebody that pushes their way to the top so they can be seen by others or praised by others. But instead, just as Jesus did, got down on his knees and washed his disciples' feet. If we're unwilling to follow, we'll never be a leader. Not here at Harvest Point. You can go somewhere else and lead, but we lead by serving here. That's the vision. Because it's God's vision. You say, well, serving... I can't wait till we get to heaven and we won't, be, we won't have to serve anymore. Let me read to you Revelation 7.15. Therefore they are before the throne of God. This is talking about in heaven. And serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will shelter them with His presence. In other words, serving is something you start doing and you never stop. We're never going to stop serving our great God who has made himself a servant to us even going to the cross naked and dying for us. If he's willing to do that, I'm willing to raise my hand and say, I'll serve you, Jesus, in any way I can. Bill Hybels tells the story of a president of a Fortune 500 company that was serving at Willow Creek, which is where he ministers. He said this very important man who, you know, I mean, a lot of people look to. Here he is on the ground with this little girl, and he's reading her Winnie the Pooh. And he reads it and he finishes, and the little girl says like, Little girls do. Read it again. So he reads it again. And she says, read it again. 
And he reads it again. About that time, the mother comes around the corner with tears in her eyes. And she says, you don't understand. You're the first man to read to my daughter since her daddy died. He said, that man looked at him and told him this. In my work, I have success. Great success at my work, what I do. But here at the church, through serving, I have significance. You can have all the success in the world. You can be the most famous person in the world. It's not going to make you happy. What makes you happy is serving others. Significance only comes through serving others. We have some servant leaders here at this church that are a conduit to find you a place to serve. It's the Lawrences. They want to help you. They're willing to create something and take their hands off of it, which is hard to do, and give it to somebody else. Go see them. Sign up for it because it's what our vision is. We want you serving in the church. We want you serving outside of the church, at least in one ministry. The last thing is this, and that is not only the great commandment, not only the great commitment, but the great commission, which is to go. It's to go. Go into all the world making disciples. How? Through your life. Lifestyle evangelism is the best method today to reach people for Jesus. It's not by going and knocking on their door. If you go knock on their door at 7 o'clock at night, they're going to look at you like an alien. If I show up to somebody's house, just imagine me just showing up to your house about 7.30 one night. You'd be like, are are you here to help us bathe the kids? Because that's what I would employ you with. If you showed up at my house at 7.30, all right, let's do it. You finally get to jump in here with us. Get all these knuckleheads in the bed. No, today, the methods have changed. The message always stays the same. But the methods, we change them. Each generation is different. Each generation is reached differently. The best way to reach people is through your own story. No one can tell your story. Only you can tell your story. And your story is powerful. No matter if it's sort of a crime to Christ testimony, or if it's a child to Christ testimony, your story is important, and someone needs to hear it. First Peter 3.15 says this, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that is in you. The Great Commission is where we go into all the world, including here in Madison, in Huntsville. In Athens, where you live, across the street and around the world. That's the vision. To go until there is no one left who is a sinner drowning in that angry sea. Until that day, we keep moving forward. Until that day, we keep course, no matter what it costs us. Helen Keller said this, The only thing worse than being blind is having sight 
but no vision. If you have no vision, you're going to drift in your life. And if you drift, you drift into meaninglessness, insignificance. You feel like that? Then start serving others. You feel like that? Then start loving God with all of your heart. You feel like that? Then go into all the world and tell that story that only you can tell. Because somebody's waiting to hear it. That's the way we reach out and grab a hand to pull them out of the abyss. So what are you really living for? Are you drifting through space? Is it time to re-envision your life? What God has for you. Maybe you've been on the bleachers. It's time to get in the game. The coach is calling you in. I know it's daunting, it's overwhelming, but that's okay. Because with Him, everything is possible. I'm wondering today, would you be brave enough to come and kneel here? Or come and stand here? Or maybe sit there and say yes to God? Say yes to the vision of Harvest Point. Because where there is no vision, the people perish. May God give you a vision that only He can accomplish in your life. Amen.